0: because every one of these investments, even when they're small communities, adds to a greater network of communication. And that's our mission, so we are really proud to be part of
1: that. Federal officials tout funding to increase broadband access in rural Alaska. From Alaska Public Media, this is statewide news on Alaska News Nightly for Tuesday, August 22nd. Good evening, I'm Casey Grove. Also tonight, officials have not been able to reach the site of a plane crash in Denali National Park nearly a week after it happened
2: the ravine being so narrow and so steep, we haven't been able to find a way to get our staff down there in a safe way.
1: Those stories and more tonight on Alaska News Nightly. Alaska News Nightly is brought to you in part by your local public radio station.
3: Whether this is your first try to quit or you've been down this path before, Alaska's Tobacco Quitline can help you quit for good. Get help creating a plan that is right for you, no matter if you smoke cigarettes, vape, use smokeless tobacco, or ICMIC. With options like calling a coach, receiving text messages, and nicotine replacement therapy with patches or gum, you can quit your way at any time of day or night. Call Alaska's Tobacco Quitline at 1-800-QUIT-NOW or visit alaskaquitline.com. This message sponsored by Alaska's Tobacco Quitline.
1: It's August, the season when important federal officials travel to Alaska to trumpet big projects. The announcements this year are coming especially fast, thanks in large part to the major infrastructure bill Congress passed in 2021. Today, it was White House infrastructure advisor Mitch Landrew's turn. As Alaska Public Media's Liz Ruskin reports, he unveiled $100 million in broadband infrastructure grants. Wow.
4: Landrew stands at a podium at the Alaska Native Heritage Center speaking not just about the three fiber-optic grants for rural Alaska, but the broader sweep of appropriations the state has received.
5: I'm trying to find the car that highlights that.
4: Landrew finds the card showing the federal announcements from last week alone, $22 million for energy resilience to the native village of Port Graham, $44 million for salmon passage, and $10 million for salmon recovery.
5: The visits of the First Lady, the Attorney General, the Secretary of Transportation, and mine as well, if you add up just what we did in last week, if you add up the $5 billion that's already been sent for the 900 projects and the $100 million coming today, Uh, The only conclusion that you can reach is that Joe Biden and his administration care a lot about the people of Alaska.
4: Landrew is following established practice, visiting cabinet members and appointees credit the president along with members of Congress present, in this case, Congresswoman Mary Peltola. The broadband money is divided almost equally among three fiber-optic projects in rural Alaska. One $35 million project is for HUNA to deliver high-speed internet to 28 people, along with eight businesses and a school. That may seem like it comes to about a million dollars per person, but Chris McLean, Assistant Secretary of the U.S. USDA Rural Utilities Service, says looking at the number of homes served is the wrong math. The whole country, he says, should benefit from the genius and creativity of rural
0: Alaskans. The denominator should be the population of the United States because you're completing our network. Because every one of these investments, even when they're small communities, adds to a greater network of communication. And that's our mission. So we are really proud to be part of that. And this is money very, very well spent.
4: Another of the grants goes to GCI subsidiary Unicom to bring subsea fiber optic cable from platinum into the Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta communities of tuksuk Bay, Tununik, and Emonik. Consumers in that region are now switching to Starlink, a satellite service. But GCI senior vice president Billy Whalen says he's not worried about the competition. He says Starlink is a good service for now, but fiber optic has much more capacity.
2: In the long term, if you get fiber into a village, the type of speeds that you can deliver and the long-term trajectory as demands actually increase your ability to keep up with it, there's really no substitute.
4: Wayland says GCI will use its grant money to bring urban-level speeds and prices to rural Alaska, and consumer subsidies could lower a household's monthly bill to zero. A few hours after the broadband announcement and a few miles away, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland was holding his own event. Reporting from Anchorage, I'm Liz Ruskin.
1: The state has a payroll problem. According to the Alaska Beacon, almost half of state payroll processing jobs are unfilled, causing some state employees' checks to be delayed or even short of what they should have been paid. The problems were highlighted in a letter this month from Governor Mike Dunleavy's chief of staff, Tyson Gallagher, to the commissioners of state departments, in which Gallagher blamed, quote, excessively high vacancy rates in the payroll division. Alaska Beacon reporter James Brooks says there are so few employees doing payroll state departments have had to put a pause on letters of agreement, which can include bonuses for new hires. In fact, Brooks says there are so many problems piling up, the payroll division can't even keep track of how
0: many reports of problems they've received. In some cases, it's maybe $50, $60. But there's cases where people are missing hundreds of dollars, even thousands, and other cases where employees went weeks without being paid. And that is in turn is contributing to turnover elsewhere in the state. The state's already been struggling to hire and retain employees, and this appears to be exacerbating the problem, not just in the payroll department, but in all state agencies.
1: Wow, yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but the fact that there would be problems in the payroll department in terms of staffing then leads to problems elsewhere with people wanting to leave because they're not getting paid on time or enough or whatever.
0: Exactly. I talked with Jordan Adams, who is the business manager for Local 71 here in Alaska. And he said that in some cases, the state has hired new transportation workers who didn't get paid for six weeks. And he told me that's absolutely unacceptable and that the state is already having problems finding and hiring new workers But when they're not getting paid, they simply get up and leave and the state has to hire again.
1: So why is that? I mean, is it akin to other problems that employers are having hiring people or is there something else going on?
0: There's a lot of possible reasons, but the one that came out in my reporting was that the state appears to be paying uncompetitive wages or the jobs it's asking workers to do. For example, during my reporting, I found that the state is preparing to hire a contractor to provide temporary help for payroll. And the state's going to end up paying that contracting firm more than double what it pays an employee on staff. Now, all that money won't go to the hired contract employee. The contracting firm will take some of that. But it's a pretty significant sign that people can make a lot more money in private industry and in other state governments than they can in Alaska. And so the state is having a hard time hiring employees.
1: And then, of course, in, in the case of the state payroll employees, they're represented by a particular union and the, the union isn't happy about this situation, right? I mean, what did they have to say?
0: Yeah, the union business manager, Jeff Casper, was pretty frank when he was talking with me. He said that this is a problem of management, that managers, executives in the state have not been doing enough to increase wages and benefits to stay competitive. He and a lot of other unions have been clamoring for the restoration of a state pension program. That's been historically one of the big advantages the state has offered but since the early 2000s, the state hasn't offered a pension, and as long-service employees retire, the state has been replacing them with employees who don't have pensions. And so there's much less of an incentive for new employees to stay with the state.
1: Now, the the plan in the short term, like you said, is to contract out these services, but The union doesn't see that maybe as such a temporary thing, right?
0: Right. Casper, when he was talking to me, said he believes it's part of a deliberate long-term plan to outsource permanently. And while evidence for that is pretty short on hand right now, it's been a concern for a long time. The state is, as part of the letters of agreement, waiving the requirement that Alaska state employees work inside the state. And the public employee unions have been growing increasingly alarmed over the past few years about the prospect that remote work might allow the state to have a large number of employees who don't actually work in Alaska. And the Department of Administration, which manages payroll, has said that This is only a temporary fix. They intend to fill these positions inside the state. They are stepping up their hiring. They're offering more bonuses. If you go on workplace, Alaska right now, the job listings say that you can have a hiring bonus of a thousand dollars to $3,000 for a job in the payroll department,
1: except they can't process the bonus. So
0: (laughs) I think they'd be able to get that done. And the department is also bringing in former payroll workers, people who used to work in the payroll department and are now working other state jobs. They're asking them to temporarily do payroll work instead of what they normally do.
1: That was Alaska Beacon reporter James Brooks. You can find his full story about the state's payroll problems at alaskabeacon.com. Still to come on Alaska News Nightly, as the Sitka Hospital closes its home health department, residents worry about the future of hospice care.
6: The point of home health and post-acute care, uh, community-based care, is we bring like a comprehensive team to you.
1: That's ahead, stay with us. Alaska News Nightly is brought to you in part by your local public radio station.
3: Invasive plants and animals threaten Alaska's environment and economy and can spread to new locations by hitching a ride. Anyone can help prevent the spread of invasive species by remembering to play, clean, go. Removing all plants, animals and mud from boots, gear and vehicles before entering and leaving recreational areas will help stop invasive species in their tracks. Learn more at playcleango.org. This message sponsored by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service.
1: A crew member on an American Seafoods factory trawler died at sea last week, likely from an ammonia leak on board. U.S. Coast Guard Petty Officer John Highwater says they received a satellite call from the Northern Eagle at about 4 o'clock Friday morning. Reporting that one of their crew members was found unresponsive in one of their engineering spaces, they believe there was an ammonia leak somewhere on the vessel that caused the uh, person to fall unconscious. Jeremy Baum, the Alaska wildlife trooper stationed in Unalaska, Dutch Harbor, identified the crew member as First Engineer David Kuma from West Africa. The nearly 350-foot vessel was already en route to Dutch Harbor when they made the call to the Coast Guard. Unalaska's Fire Chief Ben Knowles says the ammonia leak was an isolated event and there is no ongoing threat to the public. The Unalaska Fire Department assisted troopers with their investigation, provided decontamination, and offered grief counseling for the vessel, according to Knowles. He says American Seafoods brought Kuma's family to the island offer our services to them, and uh, we're hoping that um, they can find some some healing in this process. The Coast Guard, Alaska State Troopers, and NOAA enforcement are investigating the incident. Wildlife Trooper Baum says Kuma's body was sent off-island to the state medical examiner's office today for an autopsy. Denali National Park and Preserve Rangers have decided it's too dangerous to recover the bodies of the pilot and passenger of a small airplane that crashed last week in a remote and mountainous area of the park. Meanwhile, an investigation into the crash continues. KYC's Tim Ellis reports.
5: Denali Park Rangers have flown five times over the area in the southwest corner of the park where the Piper PA-18 Super Cub went down last Wednesday, searching for a way to get to the crash site.
2: But the conditions of the ravine being so narrow and so steep, we haven't been able to find a way to get our staff down there in a safe way for any kind of recovery at this time.
5: Park spokesperson Sharon Steitler says the rangers have checked out other possible ways to get up into the steep canyon off the West Fork of the Yentner River, but they came to the same conclusion.
2: Our rangers did go out to Ground Truth, the site, and they did go to look at rappelling down, but there's just too much of a rockfall hazard with the way that ravine is situated.
5: Steitler said Monday they also ruled out using devices called a hook and grabber that can be lowered from a helicopter, but they also were found to be too dangerous. She says park officials haven't ruled out trying to reach the crash site by some other means if it can be done safely.
2: Our rangers are going to look at every possible option, but you know this,
5: this is wilderness. One possibility is hiking up into the site after the river freezes, but for now, the recovery operation's on hold. And Steitler emphasizes it wasn't an easy decision.
2: These sorts of incidents hit hard with all of our staff. We want to do our best for the people and the families that visit our park. We, we understand how important this is, and we have a lot of empathy, and we really do try our best.
1: We're saddened to hear that uh, the National Park Service uh, was not able to recover the two victims here.
5: Clint Johnson is chief of the National Transportation Safety Board's Alaska region.
1: However, we definitely support their decision on that. Um, Obviously, where this accident was was a very, very precarious, very challenging area.
5: Johnson said Monday that the NTSB's investigation into the crash will continue. But he says the lack of access to the site is making it more difficult.
1: Obviously, uh, it's still a challenge as far as not being able to lay hands on the wreckage itself.
5: Johnson says investigators were able to fly up into the ravine with a drone and take photos of the wreckage, including some close-ups. And he says they're also analyzing other kinds of data to develop some explanations on why the Super Cub went down.
0: There's still a lot of information that we can glean as far as weather conditions in the area, witness accounts.
5: Johnson says NTSB intends to release a preliminary report by the end of this week or early next and a final report in about a year. In Delta Junction, I'm Tim Ellis.
1: Quintillion, the Alaska-based communications company, announced in a statement Saturday that sea ice conditions have halted further travel and repair operations on the damaged fiber optic line. Quintillion is now guessing it can restore broadband access by the end of the month. In early June, the company announced the outage was a result of an ice scouring event located north of Alictuk Point. Quintillion initially estimated the break could result in a six to eight week outage, which was updated later to be completed in August. It has been 10 weeks since broadband access was first affected. According to the statement, forecasted conditions for today indicated a window in the ice, making it possible to safely access the site and begin operations. The statement included an itinerary for the IT Integrity Repair Vessel. If the forecasted conditions are accurate, the IT Integrity will travel to Prudhoe Bay, conduct a seven-day repair, and depart the site on August 30th. Broadband internet access should be restored by the end of the month if the sea ice cooperates, according to Quintilian. Alaskan News Nightly is brought to you in part by...
3: Alaska Air Cargo, providing Gold Streak Express shipping for urgent deliveries throughout Alaska, with connections to more than 100 destinations in the lower 48 and Hawaii. More at alaskacargo.com. You know that eating fruits and vegetables supports good health. But did you also know that frozen and canned produce offers the same health benefits as fresh? It's true. Whether fresh, frozen, canned, or from the land, Eating fruits and veggies can lead to a long and healthy life. So when it comes to getting the fruits and veggies you need to stay healthy, remember, every bite counts. This message sponsored by Snap.
1: Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium is closing its home health department in Sitka by at the end of September. While the organization maintains that the closure is largely an administrative move and that outpatient services and in-home care should be unaffected, some Sitkans are concerned that both the expense and quality of end-of-life care will change dramatically. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports.
7: Hi. Sorry, I was just going to turn the light on because it's so dark out. It is so dark out. Cindy
6: Littman's home smells like warm flour and butter. She's just pulled a few trays of cookies out of the oven. Her three cats lounge in a living room filled with books and art. This is the home she and her late husband, Tony, shared in his final years. Tony was diagnosed with atypical Parkinson's disease in 2014. At the time, they were living in a two-story home in Sitka.
7: He got to the point where he couldn't navigate the stairs in our house and we weren't really able to make the changes we would need to make the house accessible.
6: They decided to move to Olympia, Washington, to be near family and easier access to the specialized care Tony needed. And while they had better access to neurologists and cardiologists, Littman says the experience taught her just how fragmented healthcare in America is.
7: What was striking to me was that there was no coordination of care between those different doctors. It felt very alienating.
6: And they
7: missed Sitka,
6: the community that had been their home for over a decade. Nine months later, friends back home were selling a house that would accommodate Tony's changing mobility. Even though they worried that there were no practitioners specializing in Parkinson's in Sitka, they jumped on the opportunity and moved back. That's when they learned about what was then Sitka Community Hospital's home health program.
7: So they were much more in tune to his situation than his primary care physician. If it seemed like his medicine needed tweaking or if he needed another kind of therapy, they were right on top of it. And these changes happened. Very frequently as his situation changed.
6: Tony passed away on Valentine's Day in 2019. Two months later, Sitka Community Hospital was acquired by the Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium, or SEARCH. Emily Rivas was the first clinical manager for SEARCH's newly created home health department. The point of home health and post-acute care, uh, community-based care, is we bring like a comprehensive team to you. Like the program at Sitka Community Hospital, Search's home health department provided everything from physical and occupational therapy to skilled nursing and end-of-life care in a home setting for anywhere from a dozen to 25 patients at a time. But this summer, Search announced it would be closing the office.
1: It's an administrative structure that creates some possibilities in terms of care, but also limits some possibilities in terms of care.
6: Dr. Elliot Bruhl is the chief medical officer at SEARCH. He says it's the home health structure they're getting rid of, but not the service. Bruhl says SEARCH is closing the department mainly due to federal regulations that make operating it challenging and inefficient.
1: I would kind of describe it like building a international airport in a location where what you really need is, you know, an airstrip.
6: Bruhl says SEARCH will continue to provide referral services in the home environment through both its mountainside urgent care clinic and the hospital's outpatient clinic. And although it's never had a formal hospice program, the home health department has been providing some end-of-life services. Bruhl says they'll still be able to do that. Right now they're working through the logistics.
1: We also provide um, really intensive types of -of end-of-life care in the hospital. And I think we're anticipating that we may at times project that care
8: also into our long-term care facility when when we need to.
6: Littman says the care her husband received through home health ensured the best quality of life possible, even as his health declined.
7: He lived a rich life. We had company, Christmas with all the grandchildren and the children. The idea that he would be in a skilled nursing home for that time is just... To me, just seems cruel and horrifying.
6: And not to mention expensive. Littman says Tony's home health costs were far less than had he lived in a skilled nursing facility. And Medicare covered the bills. Rivas, who left Search in 2020 and now works as a hospice nurse in Oregon, says home health helps create better continuity of care and doesn't think the outcomes for patients can be replicated through outpatient services. She's disappointed that the program she helped establish is going away. In a town of 9,000, like what we put together was much better than nothing. Um, and it would just be really unfortunate to have that integrated. It takes time for people to build trust, especially in a community like Sitka, and to have that now and then have it go away. It's going to be really hard to, you know, to change yet again in such a short period of time. Search's Home Health has eight staff, both medical and administrative, who were notified about the closure in July. Brühl says all will be offered jobs in other departments beginning in October. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Katherine Rose.
1: Bristol Bay welcomed two medical students this summer. Courtney Stage and Michael Kaden Hoffman both grew up in Alaska. This summer, they were in NACNIC and Dillingham as part of the University of Washington's Rural and Underserved Medicine Program. KDLG's Christina McDermott spoke with the students to learn more about their work and opportunities for Alaskans interested in medicine.
9: Most medical students spend their first two years with a textbook or several. But this summer, Courtney Stage and Michael Caden Hoffman are working in rural community health as part of a program through the University of Washington. Stage is based in NACNEC, a Chemai community health center. She's originally from Homer and wants to practice in her community one day. Working in NACNEC, she says, has been a great learning opportunity in what rural health care looks like.
8: I'm really here to listen. I feel like the community has more to teach me than I have. To teach them. So I'm, I'm definitely taking it all
9: in. Stage says she sees a connection between fishing, the area's main industry, and some of the common injuries she's treated. NACNAC welcomes a large fleet as well as several cannery workers every summer.
8: You're seeing hand injuries that are happening during fish processing. You're also seeing like crush injuries. I've seen a lot of soft tissue infections um, in hands, things that. I have not seen from shadowing in clinics in Anchorage areas.
9: Kaden Hoffman is from Fairbanks. He says he spent his first two weeks assisting in Kenai Hospital before transitioning to the BBAHC clinic in NACNAC. He says the work at the hospital gave him a chance to see several different departments in action.
8: So I got to see what emergency medicine looks like there, inpatient medicine, Um, outpatient medicine. I went by the diabetes clinic. I uh, worked with the pediatrician for a day, and so it was really cool to see how all of that functions in a rural setting.
9: Both students are in the region as part of the WAMI program. WAMI stands for Washington, Wyoming, Alaska, Montana, and Idaho. Stage explains it's a unique opportunity for University of Washington medical students.
8: The WAMI program is very unique among medical schools because it allows people in states who don't have a standalone institution to attend medical school for the first two years of the program in their home state and to work and live in their own communities while they're learning about medicine.
9: Alaska ranks third in the country for health professional shortage areas. That means there aren't enough primary, dental, or mental health care professionals statewide. Caden Hoffman says that he hopes those interested in medicine look into WAMI, he says it's important to get locals involved in their health care system.
8: You understand the problems that come in. You understand the resources available better. Um, and you have better you know connections with your patients. And that results in better health for everyone.
9: The WAMI program in Alaska received additional state funding this year and plans to add more seats. Kaden Hoffman completed his time in Bristol Bay earlier this month. And stage will remain in NACNEC until September before they both head back to school. In Dillingham, I'm Christina McDermott.
1: That's all for this edition of Alaska News Nightly. We had reports tonight from Liz Ruskin in Anchorage, Maggie Nelson in Unalaska, Tim Ellis in Delta Junction, Ava White in Nome, Catherine Rose in Sitka, and Christina McDermott in Dillingham. Our audio engineers, Chris Hyde, Tim Rocky is our producer, and I'm Casey Grove. Good night.
5: This can News Nightly was made possible by
3: Northern Air Cargo, providing year-round transportation of all types of freight from oversized equipment to small packages for commercial or residential. Northern Air Cargo, serving Alaska since 1956. And by Phillips Alaska, building the next generation of Alaska's workforce through investments in education and vocational training to provide jobs right here at home. Phillips Alaska. This is
9: Statewide News on Alaska Public Media.